Market Journal, television for agricultural business decisions, is a presentation of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources. Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Partial funding is provided by the Nebraska Soybean Board and the Nebraska Corn Board. Well, thanks so much for joining us today on Market Journal. I'm Brian Stimson. Land values continue to climb. Steeper values. We're going to go over what's driving that price spike with UNL economist Jim Jansen. We'll also get an inside look at the latest award-winning ag technology to come out of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's East Campus. Plus, Luke Beckman from Central Valley Ag is going to be joining us here in a few moments to break down the latest when it comes to the markets. That is all coming up on the broadcast, but first, let's head out and into the field now for this first story. Wheat harvest, of course, continues as corn and soybeans are rapidly growing. Today, though, we visit a less traditional farm here in the Cornhusker State. We turn now to my colleague Alex Magavica with the Rural Radio Network for this update on the growing season with a flower farm not far from the capital city. It's the difference of six weeks. Six weeks ago when we were here at West Mill Flowers near Raymond, Nebraska, dry as a bone. And now today as we stand here, it is raining and they've had abundant moisture. We're learning all the details today with Becca Monroe, the owner of West Mill Flowers. Oh man, it has been glorious. I don't think we've had to turn on our irrigation since you left, which has been amazing. The crops are growing amazing and um, we've just really been on top of our weeding and our planting and now we're starting to harvest and it's beginning to be the fun part of the season. Yes, it is. Okay, so what becomes of this season? What all do you guys have going on? We're starting to take kind of our normal production down to the farmers market and we're doing that on Saturday morning still and then we are just starting this week will be our first public um, you picks where people can come out and pick flowers for themselves. You guys have tons of flowers out there that are now in full bloom. Walk me through what's out there. Oh my goodness so we have our zinnias are popping, cosmos are coming along, celosia's looking nice. Um, we. We have a row of lisianthas that people can pick it with, um, new this year, scabiosa, and fun fillers. Okay, I've been wondering, what makes a cut flower different from other flowers that I guess we plant? Yes, so um, when I'm selling plants um, in the spring, I always am trying to emphasize the cut flowers. So cut flowers are specifically bred for production. So you have longer stems. There is a cut flower variety of marigolds, for example, and then there's your potted variety of marigolds. So those are intended to stay short and kind of spread out. Cut flower are intended to grow taller and be able to um, produce better yields. Very cool. Okay, so agritourism is a big part of your business too. Walk me through what that brings to this operation at West Mill Flowers. So we started doing U-Picks last year and truly I think it brings me the most joy because it's so much fun having people out and just enjoying the beauty of the flowers. Um, a lot of people don't realize what we can grow in Nebraska and um, how much enjoyment it is just to be out in that field and see nature. Any other major developments out here? We're, gonna, we're starting to um, fall seed, so we're just constantly seeding. I turn on my grow lights in my basement again. We're going to be planting out our um, next high tunnel for, we're planting for fall production 
for um, earlier spring blooms this 2024 season. So we're constantly thinking about next year. That sounds about right. Most farmers always thinking and looking ahead to the next year. We do appreciate that story, Alex. Well, last month, a team of UNL grad students brought home the prize for the complexity of design from the inaugural Farm Robotics Challenge. This is an invite-only competition focusing on creating new solutions for on-farm challenges. This competition included teams from UC Davis, BYU, and Purdue University, just to name a few. Market Journal's Carly Gerlach has this story. Students at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln are building the future of the agriculture industry. With the guidance of Santosh Pitla, an associate professor in the Biological Systems Engineering Department, a team of eight students participated in a farm robotics challenge to create the Huskerbot that would go on and win the prize for complexity in design. The farm robotics challenge is uh, aimed at uh, helping uh, smallholder farmers with uh, technology solutions. Um, so whether it can be you know, harvesting or weed management or many other value add operations that are really hard to do, you know, with labor. So. The team was invited to participate in the first year of the competition by the Farm Robotics Challenge Organizing Committee and received the base robot platform from Farm NG to create their final piece. We made uh, a lot of modifications to it so that we can do targeted spot spraying of the weeds. So, so we did the gantry on it that helps move the uh, or nozzle that actually sprays the weed, you know, uh, laterally so that uh, when it identifies a weed, you know, it, it, it is going to move on the gantry to that position and spray only there. So we did all the hardware, the software and the AI that is behind that, you know, and also we installed cameras to help identify the weeds. With a complex challenge at hand, the team faced other challenging obstacles, such as the availability of weeds along with a short turnaround time. They challenged them, hey, we don't have the robot, that's true, but what can we do even before we get the robot here, right? So I think we spent a lot of time on image data collection of the weeds. Okay. And then once, as soon as we got the robot, we were like, okay, let's uh, install the gantry system and the camera system. Um, and there are many challenges with developing the software itself. You know, we developed our own software, but then how do we integrate that onto the robot? So a lot of time went into that. With the drive to find solutions to innovate weed management, the team needed a variety of individuals with a variety of skills and knowledge. The opportunity to work on an interdisciplinary team left a lasting impression on the team's participants. In the future, we have to uh, work systems like develop systems where we work interdisciplinary and there are huge challenges in front of us, for example, herbicide resistance and uh, uh, not only one single person can overcome that, this, we need uh, interdisciplinary uh, teams. and. Uh, I would highly appreciate Dr. Santosh Pitler's effort to bring everybody together and I would encourage everybody uh, to be on these interdisciplinary teams because there's a lot of learning that happens when you're on these teams. The UNL team proved how bringing together individuals to create an interdisciplinary team can create success and prove the presence of robotics in Midwestern agriculture. In a way, uh, robotics is underrepresented in Midwestern agriculture uh, because traditionally a lot of robotics 
in agriculture has been done in East Coast and West Coast where you have high value crops, right? But, uh, but it's important to know that today, you know, if you want to manage weeds, uh, we need robotics, robotic solutions. And, and uh, winning this competition kind of shows that uh, at UNL, we have robotic, good robotics program now, and then we're able to bring agriculture and robotics together. With claiming the prize for complexity and design, the Huskerbot will be showcased at the FIRA USA 2023, among other robots from all over the world, to show the innovation of robotics within agriculture. Good stuff there, Carly. Thanks for that story. It's always good to see the home team get the win. If you'd like to learn more about the Farm Robotics Competition and the teams who are invited to compete, we've added some information along with this story. You can find that over on the Market Journal website. It is marketjournal.unl.edu. Well, it's time now to turn our attention over to the markets. This week, we were joined on Wednesday afternoon by Central Valley Ag's Luke Beckman. Here's our conversation. Well, let's talk about the latest activity. I think we'll kind of divide this conversation into two pieces, starting on the corn front. It's the Black Sea Saga, I think, are the words you wrote uh, when summarizing all the latest, what's, ha what's happening between Russia and Ukraine. I guess the question I want to toss to you is, what's important for these markets? What are you tracking that you think producers should be aware of? Yeah, so it's been a year and a half since Russia invaded Ukraine, and it seems like a lot of the steam came off that story. Uh, you know, a year ago, we kind of peaked with the excitement in the uh, summer of 22. And things took a little bit of a turn here in the last few weeks uh, with the grain deal not being extended by Russia. And in the last week, uh, we've seen some deliberate attacks on uh, port facilities over in Ukraine by the Russians. Uh, so it really feels like maybe things are escalating again. Uh, Ukraine exports a lot of grain out of that region, primarily wheat. Uh, other feed grains, and that also includes corn and some oil seeds as well. And so Russia competes for those same exports. Uh, certainly feels like they're trying to take out some of that export capacity to uh, require global buyers to maybe go through Russia uh, if they want, you know, to secure grains in that part of the world for, you know, freight reasons or whatever. Uh, also feels like a lever uh, that Russia is trying to impose uh, as they negotiate and try to get uh, uh, things that they want done as, as part of the negotiations with Western countries. Uh, so we've seen it escalate. The market responded. Uh, market's been a little bit, uh, uh, has not been very sensitive to uh, Russian storylines here in the last several months. And so uh, interesting to see the markets respond in the way that they did. I think a part of that was that this market was short. If you look at managed money uh, a week ago Friday, uh, continue to be short to the corn market. Uh, so when you see these types of things happen, they get a little bit uncomfortable and you see some short covering rallies. That's what developed in the corn market. And technically we went right to our 62% retracement level. And uh, as of Wednesday's close, that's where we failed uh, and we've started to retreat. All right, staying here in the U.S. with corn. How much is this market looking at the supply and demand equation? Supply, of course, people trying to guess what might be happening with the national yield and on the demand front. Doesn't seem like exports are, are very hot right now, are they? No, I mean, really the same themes are alive and well, Bryce. I mean, this market got surprised by the size of the corn acres on June 30th. Uh, that's not going to change uh, as we go forward potentially until, you know, January of 24. So we're stuck with that number. Uh, so now it's really about the yield. Uh, we're going to get the USDA's first satellite-based yield estimate August 11th. That's the next time we see the WASDE report. 
until then, we're monitoring weather forecasts. We're certainly going through some heat uh, here this week, but the markets uh, trade forecasts more than they trade what we're living in in the here and now. So we need to monitor that going forward. Uh, you know, you can run the numbers in the balance sheet and you really need a national corn yield at 170 or less to really get this carry out a chance of getting below 2 billion bushels. And even at that, we're going to have stocks to use ratios at 12 to 13 percent. And so those types of numbers just do not support $6 corn. Uh, so as we get these rallies like we saw this last week, it's really feel like selling opportunities for producers to get uh, some additional sales on, whether that's old crop or new crop, uh, because uh, that's just the reality. Demand, at least in the early part of the 23-24 marketing year, uh, just won't be stellar on the export front as it stands today. We're dealing with that really large Brazilian safrina crop uh, that's currently on the market or coming onto the market right now. Uh, so producers need to be aware of that. That is a change as we go forward. All right, Luke, well, let's shift kind of over to soybeans, carry uh, that theme over with the equation. You put does the, the, that using that same equation on the soybeans side, I guess, what are the price levels you're seeing there for support? Yeah, soybeans are a different story, Bryce. I mean, really, you look at the corn and soybean um, markets and different setups, and it really goes back to June 30th. Uh, we got the bearish acreage surprise in corn, but it was a bullish acreage surprise in soybeans. And it really necessitates that we need to see a good national yield uh, in order to support the balance sheet. Uh, USDA uh, had to incorporate those acreage uh, numbers in their July WASDE report. And in order to make the numbers work, they got pretty aggressive at cutting new crop demand. And so as we go forward, if we see, you know, any type of yield cuts, maybe with some tougher weather as we get into August uh, across the country, if they start to cut that yield number, uh, expect that they're going to continue to cut new crop export demand. But at some point, uh, you know, the market's going to get a little bit concerned with how tight that soybean balance sheet gets. And so if you go look at a uh, soybean commodity chart, uh, you're really going to see that the prices, uh, you know, bottomed out right, right around that June 30th report, and we've done nothing but trade higher since. Uh, so the market's going to be very sensitive to that. You're going to get a stocks to use ratio that's very tight for new crop beans, and that really creates some interesting price possibilities. Uh, so we really need to watch the weather over the next uh, four weeks in the soybean market. Um, you know, but the same theme that we saw in corn as far as exports actually is true with beans as well large Brazilian, large South American crop that we're going to have to deal with, and that's going to bleed into the U.S. harvest. And so while the futures market might be a little bit excited, uh, I would I would advertise to producers to expect weaker basis values at harvest time this year compared to what they've come to expect the last couple of years. That's obviously on the soybean front you're talking about. Similar story, though, for corn as well when, when it comes to basis, Luke? Yeah, we've talked to a lot of producers who are anticipating that we're going to see a repeat of this last year as far as how basis is going to behave in the year ahead. Uh, you know, we saw 50 to a dollar over um, a lot this past year in the Western Corn Belt. Uh, it does not feel like that's going to be the case this year. Why? Key reason is the Western feed markets uh, have better crops locally. Uh, they're really what drove the euphoria last year where we saw incredibly strong values uh, that were maintained all of all of last year. But those markets are in better shape this year and combined with a weak export program, uh, there's going to be plenty of bushels sitting around to satisfy uh, local demand. So I would uh, advertise to producers to expect more typical basis values as we get into the 2023 harvest. 
Alrighty, we'll keep an eye on it. Luke, thanks for joining us this week. We do appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Always lots to talk about when it comes to the markets. We appreciate Luke joining us this week. Next week, we'll be joined by Doug Simon from Trados. As always, we invite your questions here on the show. So if you have a question for Doug, be sure to email us or get in touch on social media. And I'll be sure to pass your question along. Do wildfires have any positive impacts on grazing lands? The answer can be yes, but only if we take the wild part out of the fire. Fire in a prescribed way can eradicate invasive woody species, enhance biological diversity, and maintain or improve the weight of cattle grazing that land. That's the kind of research going on at the University of Nebraska Barter Brothers Ranch, which is located out near Rose. You can learn more about this research in the July issue of the Nebraska Farmer. It's now time to shift gears and check in on weather with Nebraska Extension Ag Climatologist and Market Journal Chief Meteorologist Eric Hunt. Eric, the furnace was cranked up this past week. Quite literally, it felt that way at times. How long can we expect this heat to stick around? Well, thank you, Bryce. I think depending on where you were in the state this last week, it felt like a furnace or in some places it definitely felt like a sauna. It was definitely the case here in eastern Nebraska. Uh, so just take a quick look at the drought monitor that was released on Thursday morning. So very little change from last week. We still have about 68% of the state uh, in drought and very little change or no change to uh, the areas that were in extreme to exceptional drought. So let's take a look at the precipitation that fell across, you know, between uh, last Friday morning and Thursday morning, or last Friday morning to this Thursday morning. So again, pretty decent precipitation out here in parts of Panhandle and southwestern Nebraska. We did have decent precipitation Sunday night across portions of eastern Nebraska, including about a two-inch rain uh, or a little bit more in parts of Saunders County. But you'll notice that a lot of the places that are in D3 and D4 are really had negligible to no precipitation in the last week, which is unfortunate given the heat that we've been having you know, for most of this week. So taking a look at the vegetation conditions across the state. So again, very generally very good conditions across most of western Nebraska. I think you should get here into the very far eastern part of Nebraska. Things generally are, are fairly good. Uh, but this is really picking up on a lot of the stress that we have on, especially on the rain-fed crops across parts of East Central and South Central Nebraska. And this is a map of the Enhanced Vegetation Index. So the Enhanced Vegetation Index is kind of a little bit more a, of a sophisticated version of the NDVI. And this might be a little tough to see, but what I've highlighted here is hail damage between Waco and Utica. So back on July 10th, there was very tremendous hail that fell in that area. Uh, really destroyed a lot of crops. Again, for some farmers, this was unfortunately two years in a row of significant hail damage. But I'm pointing this out just to show how massively this appears on, this, on satellite data. So as we get into this weekend and next week, uh, what we're, we're going to have to pay attention to is where this frontal passage stops. So this weekend, we will have a frontal passage that should clear most of the state. It should get into Kansas. And the European model, uh, you know, is really starting to get a little bit more bullish with precipitation over the weekend uh, across a lot of Nebraska. Not the entire state. This does not mean that everybody's going to get precipitation, as we kind of know with forecasts for this time of year. Uh, but again, I think this is a favorable pattern for us to get precipitation. And I think what I'll be careful of is that, you know, some places could get, you know, very significant precipitation in an hour, hour and a half. There is probably some chance, of course, of wind and hail with this. Um, Another thing too is, you know, how far north is, you know, the heat come next week? So right now the expectation is that parts of southeastern Nebraska, particularly the very southeastern core of the state, will be very warm. We will probably see temperatures at least for a couple of days in the 90s again with generally pretty high humidity. So we could see heat indices, you know, getting into the, you know, 105, 110 range again for a couple of days, particularly in parts of eastern Nebraska. 
So again, to move the outlooks, uh, again, I think most of the heat risk is going to be a little bit further south of us this coming week. Um, and precipitation actually though should actually, at least according to CPC, looks relatively good for the first part of, you know, first part of August. Moving a little bit deeper into August, this actually looks very favorable for us near normal temperatures, below normal out west. Um, so again, this is basically suggesting that that ridge is going to be flattening out across you know, a lot of the southern part of the state or southern part of the U.S. with more seasonal conditions in our area. And again, reasonably good chances of precipitation. This is good. This, um, so maybe just take a look at maybe what we could maybe have for corn yield this year. So what I put up here is the percent, percentage of corn that was in poor to very poor condition at the end of July. So notice there's a spread, you know, kind of a spread between, you know, 3 to 33 percent. You know, 2012 being the worst. We are currently sitting at 15%. So most years you might think that, yeah, that would be a guarantee below trend, but there are a couple of years, like 2013 and 2015 also had similar numbers and we were kind of right around trend. Uh, so there is hope that we still could turn out a decent corn crop this year if we have a good August. Alrighty, thank you very much for that update, Eric. Finally today, as you already know, farming can be, well, an expensive venture. A country music song released just a few years ago makes it sound easy, right? Buy dirt. That's the advice from Jordan Davis. But farm ground is becoming more and more expensive, as UNL recently confirmed a 14% increase in the price just since last year. For this week's edition of Crop Talk, we sat down with Jim Jansen to discuss what's driving those prices higher. You've published the final farm real estate report. The big headline this year, Jim, is... Farm real estate in Nebraska is up about 14% year over year figured out the average for the all-land ag-land value is about 14% year-over-year. Uh, this marks the highest market value in agricultural real estate based on the 45-year history of the report if you do not adjust that average for inflation. And uh, with the folks that take the survey, what they have noted included uh, current commodity prices, financial health of many operators, farmers and ranchers across Nebraska, in addition to interest for growing farms. And uh, especially with this year, now the survey was done this late uh, winter, early springtime, but uh, obviously livestock prices are trending considerably higher than they had been compared to say the last couple of years. So all those factors are leading into some of the high real estate values that we see across the state of Nebraska. So you looked at this uh, comparing year over year, but you factor in two years, kind of the stat uh, is, I don't wanna say alarming, but surprising perhaps? Yeah, so if you look, we reported in our news release on a year-over-year -year change, but if you actually look at it over the last two years, the market value of Nebraska farm real estate has increased about 30%. Now this number varies depending on where you're at in Nebraska, what type of land you have and all these things. But nonetheless, we haven't seen this kind of growth for at least the last 10 years. Uh, the last time we've seen some similar trends in what's happening with markets, farm real estate, it's probably the late 2000s, around 2012, 13, 14 in that period of time. Well, you give the statewide all land average, that comes out to $3,835 per acre, but you break it down, and that's where uh, you know we can talk about where people can view this report, but we'll break it down a little bit here on, on the TV program from Northwest all the way to Southeast Nebraska, giving geographic and kind of regional specific numbers there. I guess high level, walk us through the West to the East, uh, how you categorize things and how the prices might differ. Yeah, so according to our survey, what we've done is we subdivided the state into eight different regions. These eight different regions are called agricultural statistic districts. Uh, some viewers may be aware of the term crop reporting district, it's the same region. And with these eight regions, we have subdivided the state 
into seven different types of land. Dry land, cropland, with or without irrigation potential. Grazing land tillable, grazing land non-tillable. Gravity irrigated, center pivot, statewide average, in addition to hay land. Those are the different types of land. With these, we draw summaries by region. And uh, what we've seen is clearly the market value of cropland has increased at a slightly higher rate than uh, grazing land, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, with that, we're seeing some of those fundamentals I mentioned before leading into the farm real estate. Now, the big question is where are we headed for 2024? Cash rental rates, that's always a, a popular topic. People want to know as they're uh, looking, uh, making preparations for the next year, what things might look like in their region. What did you find on that front? So the state of Nebraska, once again, we report cash rents based on the eight agricultural statistic districts. We divide it into dry land cropland, irrigated cropland, including gravity or flood irrigated, as well as uh, center pivot, and also grazing land on a per acre, and then uh, cow-calf and stocker rates on a monthly basis. What we've seen overall cash rents, as many folks know, tend to follow where commodity prices are at. While prices may have backed down a little bit compared to this time last year, still fairly competitive. Yes, input expenses are something we must account for, but uh, cash rents overall reported steady to slightly higher depending on where you're at and the type of land. Mm -hmm. All right, we talked some obviously about the factors, commodity prices and some other factors helping uh, move prices, but anything in particular catch your attention this year as you looked at this data set for factors that are influencing that? Yeah, so when we talked about the positive factors, many of those factors relate from the market value in addition to cash rents. Well, things that are potentially weighing down on or maybe a concern to landowners that are renting a property to someone, uh, current state of real estate taxes, um, on the operator side, farm input expenses, always making diligent decisions related to those factors, and uh, future property tax reforms. And we did see some reforms get passed by the state unicameral this year. We'll see how those get implemented. But um, anytime you have a factor that's weighing down on the expense of owning land, that's something that many people look at when they make decision making related to either purchasing land or renting land to someone else. Jim, there is a great graph, as I referenced here, breaking things down across the state of Nebraska in those different regions. Also, some webinars that uh, you all have hosted. Where's the website? People can learn all, all the details. Yes, so the Nebraska Farm Real Estate Report is found on the Center for Ag Profitability website. The website is capcap.unl.edu slash estate, Or you can do a simple search, something like Nebraska Farm Real Estate Report, UNL Land Report. You should be able to find it on any search engine as well. If you'd like to learn more about the Nebraska Ag Land Values, you can visit the University of Nebraska Lincoln Center for Agricultural Profitability website. It is cap.unl.edu. Well, that is going to do it for this week's show. As a reminder, if you missed a story, you can follow along with Market Journal on YouTube and on social media during the week to join in on the conversation. We hope to see you back here next time. Until then, I'm Bryce Duskit, wishing you a safe and productive week. Join Market Journal online at marketjournal.unl.edu. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Partial funding is provided by the Nebraska Soybean Board and the Nebraska Corn Board. Market Journal is produced by the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources.